0: Our reading this evening is Revelation chapter 21 and 22, and you'll find this on page 1041 of the Pew Bibles. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names Of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth, Topaz, the tenth, Christopheres, and the eleventh, Jacinth, the twelfth, Amazinth. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign for ever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evil doer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So as
1: you turn back in your Bibles to Revelation 21, let me just pray for us again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come here tonight and to hear your word again. Lord, we thank you that um, the real word that is spoken to us is from your, your Bible, from Revelation tonight. And we thank you that um, this is the, the strength and the truth that we rely on. Lord, please help us to hear you this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. The early church faced a lot of... Of problems. Surrounded by a culture which mocked, ridiculed, and persecuted them, bombarded with false teaching and a pressure to compromise on their beliefs, and from within a growing urge to be complacent or lazy with their faith, this was a church that needed help. And they're not the only ones. We today, the church in this world and in this room, struggle with the same problems. We struggle with the simple, everyday job of following Jesus. And we face various pressures from outside and within to give up on our faith or to simply go slow. Being a Christian is tough. And there'll be many here tonight who will be really feeling that right now. So what's God got to say to you? What can he give you to keep you from packing it all in in exchange for a safer, more comfortable life? Well, as we'll see in his last words to the churches in Revelation 21 and 22, he gives us a hope to cling on to in the form of a new creation where all wrongs are made right and a world that is made new. And alongside that, he gives us a clear call which will keep us on the straight and narrow between now and when we'll finally reach that home. So let's look at this new creation. How is it going to give us hope? Well, let's start by saying if, if your hope is based on a place where we all sit on top of clouds playing stringed instruments, your vision of uh, this new creation is not only totally unbiblical, um, but you undoubtedly embody no Desire to end up in such a place as well. Nobody likes harps that much. Now, if we are to tackle the real pain and suffering of a real world living in this current creation, we need a real hope that has its roots in the new creation, as detailed in these chapters. So, what's the first thing we're told about in this new creation? We're told. That unlike in our current world, where each and every one of us experiences wrongdoing, in this new creation, all wrongs will be made right. So let's have a look at how this will take place. Now, for a wrong to be righted, we all know that two things must happen. There must be restoration, and there must be justice. So, for example, if a thief were to steal your car, you would expect to be Restored for that lost car, and you expect the thief to receive his just punishment. That would be the wrong being righted. And so, too, in the new creation, where all wrongs are made right, you see these two things. Except in this case, the suffering follower of Jesus has lost a lot more and is given a lot more in return. And the person who has rejected Christ has not just stolen a car, but faces the consequences of rejecting the creator of this world, the almighty God. So let's look first at what is restored to the Christian. And you'll see immediately, if you look down at the start of chapter 21, in this new creation, the restoration we receive from God is given to us in the form of a marriage. What we see here is a picture of a wedding, or perhaps I should say, our earthly weddings are a picture of this greater reality in verse two we read, "I saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. That city is not, a, not simply a description of the physical place we will inhabit, but it 's also a description of what we will be like as god 's people, and so we can see that the restoration forms to us comes primarily through this marriage and subsequently through the honor and joy of sharing a dwelling place with God. In the Old Testament, specific individuals got a taste of what it means to dwell with God uh, as he lived amongst his people uh, in the temple on earth. But now we can see what it means to dwell with God completely. It means for God's people that we are restored for the wrongs we have suffered. He in verse 4, he that is God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Even the ultimate injustice that cannot be repaid or restored at all in this life, the injustice of death, will be made right. Death shall be no more, nor any of the pains that go with it. This shall be made right for the one who trusts in God. And what hope that is to cling on to. No more death. No more pain. No more suffering. That is what God has promised to everyone who follows Jesus into this new creation. Everything abundantly restored. But what about the one who rejects God? Well, they receive justice. And their punishment, as noted in verse 8, is as severe as the restoration is glorious. Now, what we see here is a long list of sins. And there's a similar one uh, in chapter 22, verse 15. And in both cases, the repercussions of being identified in these lists are of the utmost severity. The punishment is described with words such as burning and second death. We cannot, therefore, take these things lightly. It's a terrifying prospect, and it's meant to be, and it faces every individual in the world. But let's be careful to do two things. Firstly, we must identify the real problem. If the real problem is that we find ourselves being described on this list, then we are quite literally all doomed have you ever told a lie would that make you a liar then and as you see in verse 8 all liars will receive the second death have you ever hated anybody then as far as christ is concerned you've committed murder and all murderers will receive the second death so the real problem is not that some of us are bad people and some of us are good people the real problem is that we are all sinners And therefore, enemies of God, as it says in Romans 5, verse 10. So that's the real problem. But secondly, we must see that there is a real solution. There is a way that our names are wiped from this list forever. And that's found in chapter 22, verse 14, where John writes, Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life. Yes, we're all culpable from these lists of sins, whether you are a Christian or not sitting here today. But the solution is given so freely. Be washed. Be made clean by Christ. Receive these new robes. So as far as God is concerned, your punishment has been paid for by him. That way you've nothing to fear of what's written in these chapters. You have the choice to drink from the water of eternal life, as pictured in 21 verse 6, or face the eternality of the second death, as in 21 verse 8. And if that's an option for you here tonight, then there is only one application from this passage, and that's simply choose life. Jesus is making the offer. Will you accept it? And if you look again at verse 21, uh, sorry, chapter 21 verse 6, You'll see that it's an offer to drink without payment. We simply need to trust him, ask him, and he will freely quench our thirst and wash us clean. And by choosing life, you will find yourself in the future stepping into the physical, glorious reality of a creation made new again. And that's our second point tonight. We look forward to a place where all things are made new. So the churches John has been writing to have now seen that all wrongs will be righted through God's dual action of restoration and justice. Now, as people facing severe persecution, these churches would be glad that they're going to receive back a hundredfold for what they've lost and that their enemies will face justice. But they might still be thinking, well, what's to stop another enemy rising up in this new creation What if we're lacking in food and water? What if we fall away from God again with our sin? Well, this is where understanding the detailed picture of the new creation is vital, as each image conveys a different aspect of the created order that will be made new and perfect and speaks to each of these problems. And the first thing that we learn in this creation made new is that danger Will be turned to safety. Looking from verse 9, we see that John is carried away to inspect the holy city, and immediately he notices how glorious it is, with a radiance like a most rare jewel in verse 11. And again, we're back to this wedding picture. I've never been to a wedding where the bride's not beautiful. And I, I checked. Morag said it's okay for me to say that. Um, the bride is always beautiful. And that beauty is a shadow of the glorious beauty that John is describing here. But he quickly moves on to what a persecuted church wants to know. Is this place going to be safe? Yes, it's glorious and majestic. But will we be forever anxious of being attacked from outside like we currently are? Is it safe, John? Look at what John points out in verse 12. It had a great high wall. John walks up to the city and goes, nobody's getting through that. In fact, look at how much airtime this wall gets in the description from verse 12 right through to verse 21. John is saying to these churches that face persecution and attack, have you seen this wall? It has 12 gates and 12 foundations. And we know that 12 is a number of perfection in the Bible. And we can see that the gates and foundations are, are represented by the suffering servant heroes of the Christian faith. So this is God's wall. And also notice, if anyone was thinking about trying to pick a lock at the gate of heaven, that's a bad move. Each gate is guarded by an angel. So danger has definitely been turned to safety in this creation made new. And we also see that unlike the current created order... The new creation is a place not of imperfection, but of perfection and completeness. So if you look at verse 15 following, you'll see that the angel gets out a measuring rod, which is made of gold because everything in heaven, in the new creation rather, is perfect and glorious. And he measures the city. It's a perfect cube of 12,000 stadia. Again, a multiple of 12. And it's also a vast number It pictures an area much larger than the known world at John's time. So it's perfect and complete and big enough to fit all of God's people. And again we see from verse 18, the materials used in the city and wall are the absolute best in existence. It's beautiful, it's pure, and it's perfect. So we know the city's safe and it's complete, and this new creation will also be changed from being unholy to being holy. No person or thing that is impure or imperfect will exist in this city. Only those who have been made holy through Jesus Christ removing their sin will be allowed to enter. And inside, John notes there's no temple there, which for the first readers of this would be a bit bizarre because throughout the Old Testament, the temple was where people met with God to enjoy his holiness. Surely then there's a temple in this holy city. Well, no. In this creation, where all things are made new, all good things that existed before are replaced with a superior version. So as we've seen, partial safety has become complete safety. Imperfection has become perfection. And so here, a veiled interaction with God and his holiness on earth in the temple has been changed to a complete access to God in person. The temple curtain has been drawn back, and the light and holiness of God is present in every nook and cranny of this city and in every aspect of our beings. And the result in verse 26 to 27, as prophesied in Isaiah chapter 60, all powers and people shall gather and esteem and enjoy this holiness. And anyone not made holy by Jesus the Lamb, as we've already seen, will be kept outside. So lastly, and most wonderfully, in this place made new, all lacking, we currently feel, will be replaced with fulfillment. So if you look at the start of chapter 22, you'll see the picture of the new creation being developed one more time. And this time, the angel shows John a garden scene. So, if you're a fan of Dobbies, wait until you hear this. This garden has the river of the water of life running from the throne of God right through the center of the city, giving everyone access to this water. And it also contains the tree of life with its 12 types of fruit, each appearing once a month, every month, feeding everyone who desires. Both these images convey that those dwelling in this city will lack nothing they need. But instead, as in the Garden of Eden, where where there was also life-giving rivers and the tree of life, God's people are cared for and completely fulfilled, both physically and spiritually. And notice, too, the distinct lack of one tree that was present in the original garden. There's no tree of the knowledge of good and evil here. Because in this place, there is no evil to be known, only fulfillment. But do you know what? Being safe, secure, well-fed, and surrounded by shiny buildings won't really fulfill us, or at least it won't really fulfill us any more than it does in this life, unless we have what is written, or what we experience what is written, In verse four We shall see God's face. As men and women made in the image of God, we have been made to reflect God's glory. In this world we often feel the dissatisfaction of doing a bad job of this, but in the new creation where we ourselves are also made new, and therefore can literally stand face to face with our Creator. We will perfectly do what God has designed us to do. We will perfectly reflect his glory and so find an unspeakable sense of worth, satisfaction, and sheer joy. Nothing will ever come close to the joy and sense of completion you'll find standing before the one who has made you to dwell with him and to reign with him in verse 5 in a place of safety, completeness, holiness, and fulfillment. This is a place where all things are made new. Now, if we were watching a film, this is where you'd expect the perfect happy ending finish. If you look at verse 5 again, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp of sun, Or, son, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And the screen fades to white, and the credits roll. And if you're anything like Morag and I, you look at your watch and you go, good grief, it's half ten, and it's a school night. It's such a perfect ending, isn't it? And don't let me be misunderstood. Like I said at the start, as a place that will never pass away, this creation is as real, if not more real, than our current experience of life. But the question then is, why is there a Revelation 22, 6-21? to 21? Why not just stop here? It's so beautiful, so perfect. Well, the thing is, that's quite obviously not the world the church lives in. Thinking back to the early church this was being written to, Uh, They were being attacked on all sides and from within, both physically and spiritually. It would be very tempting, therefore, to take this picture of the new creation, hide away from real life, and think to themselves, one day, that's where I'll be. But using revelation in this way is not going to lead to the fruitful Christian life of self-sacrifice that Jesus is looking for in his people. We, in effect, need a reality check. We have a life to live before we reach this new creation. So, what else do we need to know? And the key information is the last heading on your sheets Jesus is coming. In this last section, John is speaking with the angel who has shown him these things, and the angel repeats what we read right at the start of Revelation. If you were to compare the opening lines of Revelation chapter 1 with this epilogue section here, you'll see a focus around the words of this prophecy or vision. The words are exclaimed as being true, spoken to show the servants of Christ what must soon take place. And we are given an exhortation to keep the words of this book because Jesus, looking at Revelation 22.7 now, is coming soon. So what does it mean to keep the words of prophecy? Simply put, it's not to just read them and listen to them, but it's to change your life based upon the words that you read. So it's one thing to hear that one day we'll be in a place of guaranteed blessing for all who give their lives to Christ in this world, but it's another thing to give your money to Christian ministry or to give your time helping the church or to sacrifice worldly success for the blessings of the new creation. But those who do that have got this message. We are to live in light of the things written here. And moving on to verse 10, we see further instruction about the words of this book. Not only are we to keep them or to live them out, we are also not to seal them up. Or phrased positively, we're to let them loose. In direct opposition to the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, who was instructed to seal up the words of prophecy that he received because what was reported in them was still a long way off from happening. The words of prophecy in this book are predicting something in the very near future. There's a crunch point on the horizon, and God wants everyone to know about it. But notice, interestingly, in In verse 11, in the meantime, the angel says, Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Hold on a minute. Let the evildoers still do evil. Now, I'm not one for contradicting angels, but there's something seems a bit off at first glance here. Are we not meant to be fighting evil? Well, indeed we are. But... The point here is not to endorse evil, but to say that in this life, there will always be evil. As we've seen throughout this prophecy, we should expect persecution, and we should expect that there will always be evildoers. And Jesus, too, in the Gospel, spoke of this when he said that this current world will be inhabited by those who love God and those who are against God, and they will live together on earth right up until this crunch point, a moment of judgment and dividing, which is pictured in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. These are quite clearly no longer the words of an angel, These are the words of Jesus himself from verse 10 through to 16. And he has something very important to tell the church. I am coming soon, he says. And he brings his recompense. That is, he brings compensation for what each of us has done, both good and bad. And as the Alpha and the Omega. As the only one who has been witness to all events of all men in all time, As God, he is the only one who can be a true and fair judge of such things. And as we've talked about before, he sets up the dividing line in verses 14 and 15, where those who trust in Christ will be placed inside the city, and those who have rejected him will remain outside. So Jesus is coming. All things in this book will be fulfilled, and we are quite clearly told here, be ready It's going to happen very soon. Now we're reminded again in verse 16 of who this is written from and to. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you, the you being John, about these things for the churches. So this message is for the churches. The churches at the time, as previously stated in the book, and the church today. And if you were to look back to the churches who were warned and encouraged by Jesus, in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, you'll notice that they faced similar problems to the ones we have today. They were surrounded by false teaching. They faced persecution and attack for being Christians. They were, they were tempted to compromise on their beliefs, to fit in better with the surrounding culture. And they grew spiritually complacent or lazy. It all sounds too familiar, doesn't it? And we've already seen, and we know deep down in ourselves, simply hanging on to a picture of the new creation in these chapters is not going to be enough to make these problems go away. It's not going to help deal with them. And it isn't even enough to simply remember that Jesus is coming soon to make this new creation a reality. There's something else that the church is at the time, and that we need to do. And you'll see what that is. If you look down at verses 17 and 20, we need to speak a message. And the message says, come. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride, that's us, say, come. Verse 20, John speaking now on our behalf. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And notice this message is horizontal and vertical. In verse 17, we speak to those around us. Let anyone who is thirsty, come, drink from the water of life for free. It's a message to each other, to those within the church, and more importantly, to those who do not yet have access to this water. And we tell them what's going to happen, and we pass on this invitation from Jesus. Come. And then in verse 20, Jesus speaks, Surely I am coming soon. And wrapped up in that, we know that that means judgment, it means victory, it means an entry into paradise and an eternity without God. And we say to Jesus, come Lord Jesus, make all wrongs right. Make this world new. Come. So for the early church and for us, our problems must be tackled with this vocal longing for Christ to return. If we, like the church is written to, face false teachers, and we all know false teachers, literally streets away from here, then we must say to them, Jesus is coming. And if we, like the first churches, are being persecuted, we say to our persecutors, Jesus is coming. And if today we feel the strong urge to compromise on our beliefs, to bend to pressure from this lobby or that on provocative issues, we say to them, Jesus is coming. And we say to our own heart that is feeling such a weight, no compromise, don't do it, heart. Don't you know Jesus is coming? And if, like me, your urge in the morning is to turn on BBC Breakfast rather than turn to Word of God, to be spiritually complacent, or if you've lost the reason or the will to pray, then we must say to our own souls, Jesus is coming very soon. So we turn to Christ in all this, and we have our hearts focused on all that Jesus' coming means, as we've seen in these chapters, for entry into a world where all wrongs are made right, a world where all things are made new, where we can live with God, and nothing unholy shall be there. We ask this for us, and we send out the invitation to our neighbor before turning to Christ and saying, Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not leave us without a word, you don't leave us without hope. Lord, that you give us everything that we need. And Lord, we thank you that you don't ask us to hide away in a corner, but you give us strength to stand out and to say, Jesus is coming to everyone who needs to hear it, including ourselves. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement and the warning um, that we've read in in this passage and in the whole of Revelation. And we we ask for your continual help and guidance to go back and look over these things, to understand the the complex images and the, the things we've read. And Lord, we pray your blessing on everything that you've spoken to us. In Jesus' name, amen.